Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Misheard with bullying, if you will. Teenage high school tactics. The Russian invasion of Ukraine. Russia is not stopping in its bloodthirsty wish to destroy Ukrainians, to destroy our state. The mandate. Removing the masks on flight. That's up to them. I haven't spoken to the CDC yet. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right. Got another good program lined up for you today. Uh, We're scheduled. Okay, we're scheduled. He's on the road, but we're scheduled to talk to uh, Congressman Ted Budd, who is uh, running for the U.S. Senate. Basically, that race has come down to Ted Budd and Pat McCory, and we'll be talking to him in just a few minutes. There is a, another debate coming up tonight. Spectrum News is holding a U.S. Senate debate. Uh, Marjorie Eastman, Mark Walker, and Pat McCory will be participating in that. Ted Budd has yet to participate in any of the uh, U.S. Senate debates. We'll ask him about that as well. PJ Media is reporting two of the most respected political prognosticators Larry Sabato and the Cook Political Report say today that they have made massive shifts in their partisan ratings for House races. All of the shifts turn toward Republicans getting the thumbs up. Sabato's latest estimate shifted from an astonishing 11 races toward the GOP. Five of those races shifted from safe Democrat to likely Democrat. Now, some, okay, likely Democrat, yeah, it still favors the Democrat, but not as much. Safe Democrat means it's a slam dunk. Likely Democrat, they still have a slight edge. It should be noted that in 2010, a dozen or more Democrat races that started in the safe column ended up in a GOP victory. Now, that was the last time we had a Democrat president in his first midterm. That would have been Barack Obama. That was when he, by his own admission, said, boy, we took a shellacking. Uh, Those might look like the good old days compared to what we'll see in November of 2022. Again, it's a long way off. I'm not counting the chickens before they hatch. But right now, it looks like this could even be a wave election, which means 50 or more seats switch parties. Now, the Cook Political Report, there was a synopsis of their, uh, their predictions in The Hill. The changes include moving three previously likely Democratic districts, including North Carolina's first congressional district, to lean Democrat, from likely to lean. So uh, Sandy Smith, Sandy Robinson, and six others, including Will Aiken, Brad Murphy, Ernest Rees, Brent Robertson, Billy Strickland, Henry Williams. Uh, Good news for them, whoever might win that primary, that crowded primary, uh, once you you win the primary, the chances of you uh, winning looks like it's a little brighter, according to the Cook Political Report. Uh, Other districts that they have uh, increased the likelihood of Republicans winning in the general election, Indiana's first congressional district, New York's 19th. Um, Each of those uh, districts, except for two, are currently held by Democrats seeking re-election. Of course, uh, G.K. Butterfield is not seeking re-election in uh, the first district of North Carolina. So, um, by the way, in that particular race, um, it looks like both sides are raising a lot of money. It's really going to come down in uh, 
November to how dis, how how much money you have and the makeup of the district, obviously. But how enthusiastic are the voters? And you know, when you when you have these minority majority districts, which is what basically the first district is, how enthusiastic are black voters going to be for voting for Joe Biden? And we hear more stories all the time that that black voters are saying Joe is not doing anything for me. He's absolutely not helping the cause at all. There's all these big promises, but nothing happens. Donald Trump, on the other hand, actually was creating jobs. The biggest increase since records were being kept for African-American workers, African-American male workers, the biggest jump was under Donald Trump. More important than money at least to us, is the political environment, which continues to look promising for Republicans, said Larry Sabato. Joe Biden's approval rating remains just over 40% in averages, disapproval a bit over 50%. Polls of congressional voting sentiment, uh, the House generic ballot continues to be relatively close with Republicans generally up just a few points. But consider this, that they're generally down a few points, even when they win in the House and the Senate. For, for them to be up this early, and again, it's, you know, I, I realize it's, there's a lot of weeks between now and the general election, but uh, right now it does not look good. With Joe Biden's numbers in the tank, as bad as they are, does not look good. Yesterday I was talking about the fact that there are 10 Democrats who have publicly come out and said that the removal of Title 42 is bad politically and dangerous for America's security. And I mentioned of of those 10, three of them are running for re-election. There is a follow-up report today on Fox News talking about the fact that apparently it's gotten so much feedback. The Biden administration has gotten so much feedback, they're actually contemplating reversing themselves and not letting Title 42 expire. However, Other reports out are saying, well, if you let it expire or not, right now, you might as well have let it it expire because they're still coming across in masses with Title 42 in place. But it's interesting, candidate after candidate that are Democrats that are running for re-election are down on the removal of Title 42. I'm talking about Democrats. Ohio Democrat Tim Ryan, Representative Susie Lee, Democrat from Nevada, Representative Sharice Davis from Kansas, Representative Elaine Laurie from Virginia, a spokesperson for Michael Bennett says uh, he's got he's running for re-election. He's got big concerns. California Democratic Mike Levin, uh, Stephanie Murphy from Florida Democrat, Maine Democrat Representative Jared Golden. Georgia Democrat uh, Raphael Warnock. I mean, all these people are running for a re-election. Now, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm sorry. I, th- th- it is so obvious that you should be in favor of retaining Title 42, even if the election was just two weeks behind us. Joe Manchin, John Tester, uh, Kristen Sinema, Maggie Hassan, um, Angie Gregg. All these are Democrats. Kim Schreier. All these are Democrats that are running for re-election and, well, cinema is not running for re-election, but all the others were. And, and, and they're all saying, you know, I think we need to keep Title 42 right in there. I, again, I don't trust them. 
I really don't. I think they're doing it for well, Cinema and Joe Hans and um, Joe Manchin. They are probably sincere because they've been saying it all along. And Joe Manchin's another one that's not running for re-election right now. But these others, I don't. I don't trust that they're sincere. I trust that they're reading the political tea leaves. They're reading the poll numbers, and they know they're going to get their fannies kicked out of D.C. if they don't change their ways. Here's the other interesting thing, even. Even if you're not coming out and saying, we need to change it, Democrats, you can't find any Democrat other than Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and people on the Biden administration and on his staff. You can't find Democrats in the House and the Senate that say, yes, we think you ought to do away with Title 42. Now, you probably, uh, AOC and the squad would probably say do away with Title 42, but any... Well, I, I started to say any sane Democrat, but I, I guess you can't put those two words together, can you? But even Patrick Leahy won't come out and make a comment about it. He just is mum on the issue. Patrick Leahy is about as liberal as you can get without being a squad member. Hey, we're going to take a time out because we hope to be joined by uh, the Senate candidate Ted Budd, Congressman Ted Budd. When we come back, stay with us. More news and views coming right up. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Uh, we're waiting on Ted Budd, who's calling in. Do we have him, Clark? Okay, well, I don't hear from Clark. Okay, I, I think we do have uh, Congressman Ted Budd, who is currently representing North Carolina's 13th Congressional District. He's also a candidate to replace... Richard Burr as a North Carolina U.S. Senator, along with Tom Tillis. Congressman Bud, are you with us? I am with you, Tom. How you doing? I'm doing great. If you remember the last time you were with us, you were in studio. It was just after Donald Trump had uh, given you the endorsement at the uh, North Carolina State Convention here in Greenville. You know what's interesting about that? I, I really thought at the time, and a lot of other people said the same thing, okay, well, this is going to be a big splash and then it'll probably sort of evaporate and not have a lot of effect on the on the outcome of the U.S. Senate race. But it, it seems like that's reversed itself. It, it didn't have an immediate splash, but it seems like as more people find out who Ted Budd is and that Donald Trump has endorsed him, it seems like it has had a lasting effect to your campaign. I think it's a great observation. It was, I was looking at my calendar a few minutes ago. It was July 8th. I was in studio with you there in Greenville in Pitt County. And by the way, Pitt County has been wonderful to me. Um, you know, starting back last June when Donald Trump, it was his first major speech since, have, since having left the White House, and right. he endorsed me for it. But it was, it was, you're right, it's almost the reverse. Yes, I mean, of course, the first couple of days, maybe the first month. And then, you know, the, the lines kept changing in our state. And this primary that we're looking out 27 days away from now, Tom, it was supposed to, if we'll remember, it was supposed to have been March 8th behind it right. in the rearview mirror but the activist courts they keep changing they kept changing the dates they kept forcing their redraws for the congressional lines i think north carolina voters look they've got to figure out inflation they got to figure out how to buy groceries you know people have got lives to live and it's not all politics for everybody so i i get that they got to get back to living their lives and now that we're within you know within sighting range of uh of the primary date coming up people are starting to focus 
So it really matters. We've got tremendous momentum. Yes, Donald Trump has endorsed me a huge boost. That's the single biggest factor that moves the needle. But now Mark Robinson has endorsed me uh, just uh, you know a little over right. eight or ten days ago. At the, at the big Selma event. Rally. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was huge. And just to have his support behind me and, and, and doing an ad and letting people know why he's supporting that I'm, you know, me, that I'm a conservative fighter in the race. I am so honored. I mean, National Border Patrol Council, Newt Gingrich coming out and supporting me, about 50 state legislators, those in the General Assembly supporting me, sheriffs all over. This has been amazing, and I'm just truly humbled. Uh, and look, there's a lot of hard work ahead in the next 27 days, and then the fight for the general. That's the real fight. You have to be look, looking back in hindsight. I, I would think you're a little grateful that it, it got delayed. I mean, it seems like the longer this goes on, these polls are coming out. The WRAL had a poll, Civitas has a poll, and uh, you, you're inching ahead. Which you know, there's about six polls that have come out in the last ten days, all show me with a double-digit lead, average is about twelve and a half points ahead. But I'm going to run like I'm ten points behind. You know, this is the NASCAR state. And the way you lose is you let off the gas in the corners. We're not going to do that. We're going to, you know, stay humble, stay focused, work hard, ask people for their prayers, their support, and their vote. And we're just going to keep um, adding to whatever, you know, grace we've been given, keep going out there and working. And uh, I think the voters connect with the message that I'm a small business owner. I'm a conservative fighter. I'm Trump endorsed. And I'm Mark Robinson endorsed. And I know how to win. I mean, I've been a tough fight, not just offered primaries well let me, remember we all got to pull together as republicans uh, i've been well, in top generals but nancy pelosi came after me but with every i you know i, I feel confident that everybody's going to come together after we have a, a candidate for sure all the republicans are going to come together let me let me ask a couple of tough questions for you that that i hear people asking me and saying what about this and one of the questions is the fact that you've decided that you're not going to participate in the debates. There's another, another debate tonight, the Spectrum debate, the Spectrum news debate. Why did you come up? I mean, generally speaking, in a tight race like this, the candidate would say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and debate. You, you've decided not to. Why? Well, I've been in candidate forums all over the state. And just last week, I had one with all four candidates in there. They took a poll. I won uh, by overwhelming margin there. And I've been, look, I've been very available around the state, but I've got to get to all 100 counties. We've got 27 days left, plus my duties in Washington, D.C. So I've made the decision to spend my time looking folks in the eye, listening to their concerns, and asking for their vote. And, and that so far is what's been working all the way up until now from when we announced April 28th of last year. And I'm going to keep doing that for the next 27 days. And then for the general, I'm going to continue doing that for the remaining about 200 days until November. Let me ask you in terms of, uh, well, it's really a follow-up to the um, to the polling numbers. You know, there's a, a poll out, Civitas came out with a poll saying that just 7.2% uh, of respondents in the United States think the United States is headed in the right direction compared to 91% that said it is headed in the wrong direction. These aren't just re Republicans. Um, I, I take that back. Th these, these are Republicans because this is a Civitas poll for the, for the primary. But nonetheless, I mean, that, that number is huge. Let's assume that the Republicans take back the House and the Senate. What are the top few things that the two bodies need to work on first starting in January of uh, 2023, assuming we take back the House and the Senate, which it looks pretty likely that could happen? 
Yeah, we've got to focus on border and the resulting crime that comes from that. You know, at a county about two counties away from where he where I was asking uh, a sheriff what he's seeing, and he said every single county is now a border county because of the policies of the Biden administration. And so the problems are not just Texas, Arizona issues, New Mexico issues. They are national issues, county by county, um, because of what's going on there. So I would say crime as a result of border, the fentanyl, all that running together. The second is it's affecting everyday, hardworking American families to the tune of $5,200, and that is inflation and the fiscal irresponsibility of the Biden administration. And there's a set of issues. I mean, you've got so much money they're injecting into the economy, which incents people to stay at home, which in turn they're not producing because you've got small businesses out there, employers trying to employ people, but they can't find workers. So you got money chasing goods that aren't there. It turned our economy essentially, Tom, into a giant eBay economy where everything's getting bid up, including clothing, groceries, healthcare. Everything's being driven up. It's because of fiscal irresponsibility. So crime and fiscal restraint and driving down inflation so our country can produce and be strong again. And, and, and then I would say there's a real cry for justice and exposing uh, the problems of the Biden administration, the corruption that's out there. Justice doesn't always fit on a political timeline. I get that. But there's a lot of questions that need to be exposed. Now, I'm on the Financial Services Committee. Uh, banking, credit unions, credit cards, uh, insurance, housing. But Maxine Waters, when I look behind me, she is the chairwoman, unfortunately. AOC sits to my left, not just ideologically, but literally on the other side of the aisle. <laughs> in that committee and three out of four of the squad. But I get to say anything I want to in the five minutes that I'm giving on the topics that they hold the hearings on, but we don't get to control what the hearings are about. So now when we're in charge, we get to hold the hearings because we have the gavel on those committees. We get to, I mean, you remember the Benghazi thing, the uh, the hearings that, or exposed, you know, corruption from Hillary and problems and bad leadership. Well, that's when we held the hearing. Now, they can say what they want in the five minutes they have, but we get to hold the topic. And that's what we have to get back to. People are crying out for justice right now. There's a real frustration in our country that, that the elites get to do whatever they want. And that's not the way this country is built. I mean, it was built for the people, by the people, and of the people. And we've got to get back to that. As you look at your congressional time in, in D.C. As, as a congressman, what what one single thing would you say, I'm I'm most proud of this? What would it be? Yeah. You know, a lot, I'd say driving the economy as part of the tax cuts and the Jobs Act. I mean, that was and then reining in regulations. It really, it, it what it did is it drove down unemployment to historically low levels. Uh, women's unemployment was at the lowest level, African-Americans, right. the lowest, Hispanic, lowest level. And, I mean, opioids for the first time in recorded history was being the usage and, and overdose and deaths were being driven down for the first time in decades. And it was all a virtuous cycle that we were building. And we were doing our work in the House. President Trump and his administration were doing right things. For my county, one county that I represented, the largest single dairy producing county in the state, the USMCA, which is NAFTA 2.0, was huge for us. Now, these are not always dinner table conversation things, but they were huge. Right. But the things you think about every day, you know, helping our veterans, 
uh, reforming the VA there, uh, fighting against opioid addictions and abuse. We were able, again, driving that number down for the first time, and then rural broadband. Those are some things that, um, that help everybody and that we were able to work on. When you look at the uh, election, you've got to get 30% or you've got to have a runoff. Do, do, you, do you feel like that's a, a – I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're not taking it for granted, but right now as you look at the numbers, do you think that's something that you'll, your campaign can accomplish? Absolutely. Most polls I see show us over 30%, but it always, always, always comes down to turnout. Right. Um, and I would say, look, yes, we are in a good position, but I'm going to run like I'm behind, and I am going to ask people for their prayers, their support, and their vote. And when it comes to either early voting starting on April 28th or, um, you know, or, or, or an election day on April or May 17th, people have to show up to the polls as Republicans and vote. And I would ask for that to be me because I represent the America First policies that have made our country great and can again. You know, uh, Ted, you, you have projected yourself as a very, very positive candidate, and yet Club for Growth has come in, and, you know, they've gone negative in, in some of the ads they wrote. And I realize, you know, they're a pack, and you're a candidate, and you have no say in what, you, what they do. But I've heard other the, of the other candidates say, you know, is it fair that in a primary we have one entity come in and and shift the way things are going? I'm not going to ask you about in, in particular about your situation, but is that something that that uh, perhaps we need to rethink in terms of uh, our election laws? It's something we always want to take a look at. Again, you don't want to stifle free speech, but I would also say you've got some very desperate campaigns out there that have been very negative against me. And uh, the outside group that has supported me and endorsed me, they're for small business, they're for lower taxes, they're for economic growth and job creation. So I think it's unfortunate that those uh, my opponents in this race are against those things. Um, because, look, I'm for small business, I'm for lower taxes, I'm for job creation, and that's what the group that's endorsed me is supporting. So I think the it's sad that a Republican would be against those things. You were probably, of all the North Carolinians, except for Donald Trump's daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law, Laura, you might be one of the closest people to Donald Trump. Uh, has has he given you any insight to what he plans on doing in uh, 2024? You know, we're all asking that question, and uh, I'm just so grateful for what he did, the policies, the America First agenda. Um, you know, we sure miss him. You see the right track, wrong track numbers that you let off this segment with, and we are definitely on the wrong track right yeah. now. One of the great things about our country, and particularly about the Republican Party, well, one is, you know, a great strength of ours is that we're independent thinkers. The bad thing is that we're independent thinkers. But I would say when it comes to 2024, we've got a very deep bench. There's a lot of talent out there, and Americans have a lot of choices. And uh, so I don't know what the president's going to do. Um, I know he would do so much better than Biden. And if he ran, he would win and he would have my support. Yeah. Um, as as you look over the next 27 days, as you mentioned, I'm sure you've got a full slate. You're going to be in the eastern part of the state. Really, you're going to be all over our listening area uh, this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. We've got some uh, corners of the state that I haven't yet been to or we may have been through and and need to swing back through and visit a few folks that we haven't. 
And I tell you what, I am falling more and more in love with this state every day. I've got a great 10 counties that I have the privilege to represent in the U.S. Congress in the current, not the new, but the current 13th Congressional District. And it's been an honor of a lifetime to do it. But to meet folks in the other 90 counties that I haven't had a chance to represent has just been uh, an additional honor. And I look forward to meeting more folks and asking them to allow me the honor of serving them and, and representing them as a U.S. Senator. Well, you're going to be all over the eastern part of the state if our listeners want to come out and get to know the candidate better. Among other things, you're going to be at the Mount Olive Pickle Festival. You'll also be in the La Flama Mexican Restaurant in Snow Hill Saturday at 1 o'clock. So uh, we'd encourage folks, if you're still trying to figure out who do I vote for, you got 27 days to figure it out. So this is your opportunity to meet Ted Bud one on one. Ted, thanks so much for calling in. Do appreciate it. And uh, you know, I, again, thanks for your service. I, I say this to every candidate that comes along: it is not easy to do what you're doing. Uh, you, you sound up. I, I'm sure the adrenaline is high, but uh, boy, it's <laughs> it's a long road to hoe. You know what? It's it's. I'm very excited about this opportunity to serve. These are very tough jobs, and yes, people say they're a calling, but it's a two-part calling. You might feel called to run, put your name on a ballot, but it's not a calling until people turn out and say yes to you on the ballot, and that's what I'm asking people to do uh, because I love this country, I love this state, I love our people, and I want to do a great job representing them in the U.S. Senate. There you go, Ted Budd. Uh, easy website, Ted Bud got, uh, tedbud.com, and... Uh, well, if, uh, if you prevail on uh, the primary day, we look forward to talking to you uh, before the general election, for sure. Well, we got to win this as Republicans. I'm asking that it's me as the nominee. But if for some reason it's not, whoever it is will have my 100% support and dedication to make sure that we have this seat held by Republicans. Well said. Thank you, Ted. Do appreciate it. Congressman Ted Budd. Thank you, Tom. You bet. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Taking a quick look at your weather forecast. Uh, boy, it turned out a lot nicer today than they said it was. Uh, tonight is going to cool down again, though, a low near 40. No frost last night. That was good news. Tomorrow, sunshine. A few clouds passing by, high near 75. Tomorrow night, a low of 51 with partly cloudy skies. Then Friday, uh, boy, it's the start of a great-looking weekend. High around 80 on Friday and uh, lots of sunshine and pretty much that's the forecast we're going to have a high next monday of 87 degrees and you'll be saying i got to turn the air conditioning on i'll tell you what i i hope it stays warm though you know we we hit the 80s and then it drops back down it seems like it's been that way for the last month but uh, anyway it is uh april the 20th and it is national look alike day we got a national day every day of something so who did people say you look like? When I was younger, I used to people used to say I look like John Davidson. Remember the singer? He used to be on like um, all these different uh, game shows too. John Davidson. People said you look like Don, John Davidson. And then more recently, people have said I look like Brit Hume on uh, Fox. 
Uh, Brett is a whole lot older than I am, though. So I don't know if that's a compliment or a <laughs> uh, Town Hall's reporting Florida Senate passed a bill today during a special session that would dissolve the special tax district that has allowed Walt Disney World to enjoy autonomy since 1967. The Florida Senate passed the bill 23 to 16 after Ron DeSantis called for the Florida legislature to expand its special session to review the privileges granted to Disney World. The measure now heads to the House, and if it passes there, DeSantis is expected to sign the bill that would eliminate Disney World's special tax and operational status right now disney is just its own entity uh things like zoning laws and those kind of things they don't have to take it before a county or a state they just do their own deal and um you know basically governor DeSantis said wait a minute if you're going to start working against the state of florida that has given you these special advantages that by the way no other theme park has then uh i don't think so I don't think we're going to continue to let you uh, try to change the rules. And uh, anyway, it looks like it's going to pass. It was rather interesting, though. um, On MSNBC, they had the uh, they've got a daily version of Meet the Press. And uh, on there, they had Simone Sanders, who is some communications staffer for kamala harris now and uh she said do you think those state legislators are going down in florida they're going to bend the, to the will of the governor she said no disney's going to win i put my money on disney honey <laughs> and right after she said that chuck dodd said um uh, this just in the florida senate just passed the bill <laughs> i'm gonna put my money on disney honey speaking of kamala so Kamala this week was out in California. Yeah, there she is. Space Cadet Kala, Kamala. She goes over to Vandenberg's Space Force base. You know, I'm speaking. Donald Trump started the uh, Space Force. And uh, she goes over to Vandenberg, and she decides that she's, among other things, going to uh, talk to the people that make up the Space Force at uh, Vandenberg. This is what she said. I think everyone here recognizes how extraordinary space is. Whether it is satellites that orbit the Earth, humans that land on the moon, or telescopes that peer into the furthest reaches of the universe. Space is exciting. It spurs our imaginations, and it forces us to ask big questions. Yes, boys and girls, space is big. I mean, when Mr. Rogers was talking to the kids on his show, he didn't come across nearly as condescending or superior as Kamala Harris said. Listen, if I was talking to a group of fourth graders, I wouldn't talk like she talks. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's condescending. Is she that arrogant? Yes, boys and girls, you're ignoramuses, and so I have to talk very slowly and carefully. Space is big. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> How much empty space is in that brain? It gets worse, though. 
As ABC reported, when she was out there, the vice president announced that the United States is committing to a ban on destructive anti-satellite missile testing and calling on other countries to do the same. The Biden administration ban comes after Russia and China have already carried out such tests in the past and are unlikely to, you you think they're going to listen to Joe Biden? They're laughing at Joe Biden. They're unlikely to heed Biden's administration's request that they stop pursuing offensive space capabilities. Hey, boys and girls, we're going to stop it because it's bad. And won't you stop us too? I, this is ridiculous. Why don't we all just go ahead and take the cyanide pill now? Get it over with. <laughs> Rather than wait for these two dimwits to have us all killed. I'm sorry. The, the, the world is an evil place. And the irony is, well, why why do you have security? Why don't you tell your Secret Service agents, put away your guns and just go home to be with your families? I don't need any protection. Everybody out there is nice. Why should we have guns? Why should we try to have superior weapons than, than Russia and China? We'll just ask them, please put your guns down. Won't you do that? Wow. God help us to get through the next three years. These people are literally going to get us killed. By the way, I thought the Department of Energy was there to address the challenge of making sure we had enough energy. Apparently not. This is out of the Free Beacon. The Department of Energy is touting its work with left-wing activists who want to eliminate fossil fuels as gas prices rise to the highest level ever seen in a decade. Now, again, didn't we start the Department of Energy to address the energy needs of Americans? Not to destroy our energy so we have less energy? In October, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm held an event called, quote, Our Time is Now, Latinx Leaders on Climate Action, focused on the Biden administration's efforts to usher in an equitable, clean energy future. Activists who attended included members from organizations called, you ready for this, Queer Brown Vegan and Earth Uprising. That's the name of the organization that participated. It gives you a pretty good hint of what went on. Earth Uprising in April 2021 demanded no new fossil fuel infrastructure and existing fossil fuel extraction must be ceased, including all pipelines. Queer Brown Vegan also called for the elimination of all fossil fuels and endorses zero waste as, quote, an ancestral black, indigenous, and people of color practice. (laughs) Where did they come up with this crap? I'm sorry. I mean, I got to repeat that. Queer Brown Vegan calls for elimination of all fossil fuels and endorses zero waste as, quote, an ancestral black, indigenous, and people of color practice. I didn't know that. I, I, I honestly, I've seen black people getting gas at gas stations. Just saying. The event was highlighted as an outreach effort by the agency in its new equity action plan published earlier this month. The purpose of the meeting with activists, the agency wrote, was to promote the environmental, social, and energy justice actions encapsulated in President Joe Biden's Build Back Better bill. Why are we worried about building infrastructure, you know, putting in new new roads? Why do we, we're, we're I mean, if we're just going to eliminate 
fossil fuels. If we eliminate fossil fuels, there'll be no electric cars. I mean, well, how do you think we get the electricity generated so your car can be recharged? Fossil fuels. We're looking at everything within the Department of Justice, every single program that we have, and asking how is this helping communities that have been left behind? How do we increase diversity and innovation? And how do we ensure we have undeserved communities, underserved communities at the table and listening to make sure we're getting this right, Grand Home said at the event. So uh, it's not about energy. (laughs) Obviously, it's not about energy. The event exposes the tensions between the Biden administration's purported policy goals and its pledge of embedding equity in everyday businesses of government. In this case, the Energy Department's equity initiatives explicitly contradict Biden's claim that he's doing everything in his power to lower the price of gas, which sits at more than $4.10 a gallon. Uh, Yeah, in some places, it's, it's a whole lot higher than that. Biden has faced bipartisan criticism for stifling oil and natural gas production, which sits below levels seen under his predecessor. Big time. Big time. We're on the upswing under Trump. We're very much on the downswing. And what's going to happen when the strategic oil supply is depleted? What's going to happen then when there is no reserves? Because Joe Biden, for political reasons has emptied them out. There's there's no emergency here other than the fact that Joe has allowed the price to skyrocket. But there's no emergency as if we don't have anywhere else to get oil. He's releasing the strategic oil supply strictly to lower the cost of gas, which is only going to come down by a few pennies, and to win votes back. That's it. The Department of Energy, they could care less about your energy needs. They could care less if you fry this summer or freeze your fanny off next winter. It's all about diversity and saving the earth and destroying America, destroying the country you love. That is the goal of Barack Obama 2.0. We got to take a time out. Stay with us. More news and views after this. to the show that really makes you think. He is a genius. He's all-powerful. He brought a kind of heat. He could be the best. Just don't hurt yourself, okay? More news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Colin Kaepernick, the kneeler, the guy who came out with a film that said the NFL makes black males slaves. That if you're working for the NFL, it's just like being up on the slave block, the slave market. They're going to auction you off to the highest bidder and you are a slave. Well, guess what? Colin Kaepernick wants to be a slave. During an interview earlier this week on the I Am an Athlete podcast, Kaepernick explained that he believes he will find a way back into the NFL. Five years of training behind the scenes, Kaepernick said, you don't do that if you don't have a passion and you don't believe you're going to find a way back on the field. I know I have to find my way back. So yeah, if I have to come as a backup on a team, that's fine. Backup quarterback on a team, that's fine. But that's not where I'm staying. 
And when I prove that I'm a starter, I'm going to be able to step on the field as such. I just need that opportunity to walk through the door. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't see it, Colin. But again, the hypocrisy of liberals is mind-boggling. I mean, wasn't this guy who is super woke, wasn't he um, made into a hero because they said he was so brave? He stood on principle. This is the guy that just said, you know, the, the NFL is, is equivalent to the slave master. And then now, now that his notoriety is disappearing, he wants to be a slave again. Isn't that curious? The Biden administration is moving to rescind a Trump-era religious conscience rule that allows medical workers to object to providing services that conflict with their faith. Faith. The Department of Health and Human Services confirmed to Fox that it is the rulemaking process of proposing to end the conscience rule. The policy changed is currently under review at the Office of Management and Budget. In other words, Donald Trump came in and said, you know what, if you've got religious convictions against things like abortion or things like transgender surgeries, if you've got a religious conviction, we're not going to we're going to make sure the federal government protects you. You you're not going to have to do those things. You're going to be allowed to carry out what you believe. Well, the Biden administration is happy to have you carry out what you believe as long as it lines up with the progressive agenda. When it doesn't, they're going to eliminate that. They're in essence saying, "We don't care what you believe. We don't care what your faith is." If we pass a law that says you're going to have to do transgender surgery and uh, you're going to have to do abortions, guess what? You're going to have no choice. You can either lose, lose your job, lose your occupation, or do what we tell you to do. Bingo, bango, bongo. That's it. Uh, Unbelievable, but uh, not surprising. Yesterday we talked about the fact that... uh, A Wake Forest University medical student is uh, in trouble because uh, she acts, well, sounds like deliberately missed a guy's vein when drawing blood because of transgender issues. On the positive side, Shawnee State University had to settle with a professor, a Nicholas Merriweather, a devout Christian at the university, who refused to use incorrect transgender pronouns. They said you had to. He said, no, I'm not going to. The Alliance Defending Freedom came in and sued. And now the professor who stood on principle is $400,000 richer. A lot of that's going to go for attorney fees. But uh, nonetheless, the attorney uh, is going to make out. The university is going to lose out. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right.